We seem to prefer to run away from our problems, to run away from our difficulties, to run away from crisis, instead of spending the blood and the sweat in facing them and dealing with them in the power of God. And as I was reflecting upon this, I remember a cartoon that I, read, I saw some time ago. And here's Charlie Brown and Linus were kind of walking around and, and chatting with each other. Linus said, I, I don't like to face problems head on. I think the best way to solve problems is to avoid them. Well, Charlie Brown said, well, I thought this was a, a distinct philosophy of mine. I always say that there is no problem that is too big or so complicated that I can't run away from. And I wonder how many of us, as I began to reflect on this, how many of us, when they face crisis and problems and difficulties and even threats in our lives, how many of us in the midst of it want to run away and then listen to the advice of our friends who tell us to run away from these problems, to get away from the problems. This is where David was precisely when he wrote Psalm 11. That's exactly where he was. Spiritually, emotionally, that's exactly what he was as he wrote this psalm. He had just defeated Goliath. And David's popularity has been on the top of the Jerusalem Gallup poll. And the number one song, the number one hit on the chart was a country song that ran something like this. I won't sing it. I want to keep it for the rest of the sermon. Saul has killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. Women, children, they were singing it in the streets. And that filled Saul with such anger that reached demonic proportion. And as David was playing the harp for Saul, Saul was throwing the javelin at David trying to kill him. And what advice does his timid friends give him in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this threat, in the midst of this problem? What advice does his coward friends were giving him? David, run away. Flee from your problem. There is no answer. There is no solution. You can't get any help, David. Get out of danger. Go as far as you can. Many years later, you know, Nehemiah, when he was leading God's people back, some of his enemies came in the guise of his friendship, and they tried to trap him. And they said to him, they said, Nehemiah, what you need to do is to run away and run and get away from this Christ. Escape for your life because you are in danger. And what does Nehemiah say? He looked him in the eyes and, and he said, Shall a man such as I escape for his life? You know, if Nehemiah had run away, they would have said, See the accusations that we've said about him, the things that we've said about him, stuck. And they would have blamed him for the defeat. How such a man as I escape for his life? And when you and I have sold to Jesus Christ, we cannot, we do not, we must not run from problems. When we're sold to Jesus Christ, my life is not important, the gospel is. When we're sold out to Jesus Christ, our reputation is not of concern, the gospel's reputation is. When we're sold out to Jesus Christ, our comfort and our desire is not our number one concern, but the gospel is. When we're sold out to Jesus Christ, we are not afraid, because we know in our hearts that only nothing can happen to us unless God in heaven permits it. David said, he sits on the throne. How can I run? How can I flee? God is on the throne. You remember when Pontius Pilate was trying to intimidate Jesus? 
And he said, listen, he said, don't get too smart with me. He said, I have authority. I have power. I can take your life from you, and I can restore it to you. And you know what Jesus said? In your dreams, baby. That's really what he said. In Hebrew, though. He said, you can't do a thing to me unless God permits it, unless God, my Father, tells you to do it. And I know it because I'm His eternal Son. I have lived with Him. I'm His only begotten Son. I know my Daddy, and you cannot do a thing to me unless He says so. So David, he gets this advice from this cowardic friend and said, David, run like a bird, just flee. And you know the word, the Hebrew word here for bird in this psalm, it's not the word for dove. There are several words for birds, or one for dove, and there's one that the one is used here. It's not for dove. You know why? Because when the dove flee, when the dove flies away, comes back home, always comes back home. But the word is used in this psalm is a field sparrow. Because the field sparrow, when he flies, he flies and flies and flies and never comes back. He gets into the mountains because that's where the forests are. This is where the trees are. And they were so far away from civilization. They're so far away from the cities and the normal life. So they said, like a field sparrow, go, 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 and never come back, David. Get away. Run from your problem. It is too dangerous here. Get away from the threat on your life. And David reacts to this cowardly advice by writing Psalm 11. Now, I want to tell you at the outset, I was trying to preach throughout the psalm, but I found myself stuck with verse 1. So if I'm concluding, I'm still in verse 1, take heart. It's only verse 1. And David said, I will not flee from crisis. Why? Because only a frightened bird runs away. I trust in the Lord, and He's on the throne. He has not abdicated. David was saying, those who threaten me may be great. Saul may be the king of the land, but the God whom I worship is greater. He is greater than all my problems. He is greater than all my fears. He is greater than the javelin of reality. He is greater than the faults of the past. He is greater than the problems that I'm going to face. He is greater than the anticipation of tomorrow. Ask my God. And everything is going to be a-okay. Why? Because God is on the throne and I'm putting my trust in Him. And He'll never let me down. I want to ask you some question, a hard question I want you to reflect upon all week, not just today. And the question is this, who do you really trust? Don't give me a spiritual answer. I don't want an answer. You answer yourself. Who do you really trust? Where is your trust? Is it in your portfolio? Is it in your net worth? Is it in your assets? Is it in your family connection? Where is it? Where is deep down when you're alone with God, where is your trust? Who do you trust? Answer that question between you and God. And I'll tell you why it's important. Because who you trust will determine the quality of your life. I heard about this atheist guy who went out for a hike, and he got up in the mountain, and he's... As he coming down the mountain, he wasn't watching very well, and his foot slipped, and, and he was about to, to go for a free fall, 200 feet down. But he held onto a branch. And then all of a sudden, he said, God, if you're there, he said, I've never believed in you, I never trusted you, but if you're there, please help me. And then a few seconds later, a voice came from heaven and says, let go of the branch. 
The man looked up in heaven and he said, is there somebody else out there? Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Trusting in the Lord includes taking responsibility for your actions. You are responsible for the person that you have become. Not your father, not your mother, not the government. Nobody. You are responsible. I am responsible for who I am. And the reason why people flee in our generation and follow this gospel of escapism, why people want to flee from their problems, is because they do not want to face the consequences of their decisions and their choices. Choices have consequences. Every choice you make, there is a consequence to it. Our generation is full of people who are running from life. They're running from their pasts. They're running from themselves. They're running from the javelin of reality. They do not want to face the truth about themselves. Trusting in God means taking responsibility for the person that you have become, for the person that you are. And the gospel of our generation is that gospel of escapism will not help you. In this nation alone, we spend tens of billions of dollars each year on amusement. Now, many of you probably have not stopped enough to think what amusement means. Do you know what the word means? Muse means think. Amuse means not to think. So we're spending tens of billions of dollars not to think. Can you imagine? If your marriage is too tough, do what David's friends say. As the bird flees to the mountain, just fly, fly, fly away. Run, run, run. Don't stop running. A man said to a woman, he said, "Um, what would you say if I ask you to be my wife? She said, I don't know. I don't think I could say anything because I can't laugh and talk at the same time. (laughs) If you are facing a problem in your marriage today, I want you to hear what David said, not what his friends have said. Don't flee as a bird to the mountain. Stand up and face life. Problems everybody's got plenty of. You can resolve them with the help and the power of God, but not by fleeing. I want to tell you that your life can be wonderful again. Your life can be exciting again. If you stand there and you wait upon the Lord so you can watch Him doing miracles in your life. If things get tough at work, what do we do? Instead of hanging in there, discerning the will of God, we want to run to the next job. Instead of watching God to perform miracles in the life of your boss, in the life of your corporation, in the life of wherever you work, We run to the next stop. We want progress without toil. We want achievement without hard work. In fact, I, about three weeks ago, a friend called me. He said, uh, he told me a story about a man who uh, was driving, a Christian man who was driving his Mercedes, and he got him some mechanical problems and and was in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he left his car and walked and walked and walked quite a distance, and then he ended up near a, a building that's so shabby from the outside and it looks like it's a sort of a, a beer hall. And, and finally he went inside, he opened the door and it was as shabby inside as it was on the outside. But he won't ask for help. He went to the bartender and as he was talking to the bartender, he saw some man was sitting there at the bar and 
And he looked at him and he said, he says, Jimmy, Jimmy, is that you? He didn't recognize him, the man with long, unshaven beard, dirty hair, dirty clothes. And he said, yeah, he yeah, asked me. And they'd gone into a conversation. And the inquirer told Jimmy, he said, what do you need to do is go home, have a shave, wash your hair, and then open your Bible. He said, and when you open your Bible, he said, close your eyes, and the first thing that your finger hit in the Bible, that's God's promise for you. Well, it wasn't very long. Two weeks later, the man ran into Jimmy again. And Jimmy was dressed up in a great suit and Rolex watch and Rolls Royce parked outside. And he said, Jimmy, Jimmy, what happened to you? Well, I said, I did what you asked me to do. And I went in and opened the Bible. and my finger. He said, tell me, what passage did you get to? I said, well, he said, I closed my eyes and put my finger down. I said, What's the, what did it say? It says, chapter 11. I thought you lawyers were like that. (laughs) Young people, I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying. When your school gets tough, when your school work gets tough, don't drop out of school. Don't quit. Doing your homework is not you doing a favor to the teacher or your parents. That's your duty. And the way you learn this is to know that when you start something, you better finish it. Don't stop halfway or else you'll be a grown-up stopping halfway in everything you do. And all of you hear me right because this is important. If God's discipline to our slovenly flesh gets too hard, many of us take the advice of David's friend and flee to the mountains. If there is a giant between you and the promised land, run. If there is a a roaring lions, run. If there is a fiery furnace, run. If there's a private Gethsemane that's soaked with tears, run, 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 run. And miss out on God's mark and God's best for your life. That's the wrong advice. Hear me right. Life consists of what you ought to do, not of what you want to do. Did you hear me? Life consists of what you ought to do, not what you want to do. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Do you understand that, what that means? You need to say with Nehemiah, How can a man such as I, how can a woman such as I, escape and run away? Jesus, our great example, when he got in Gethsemane, he was sweating blood. Just think about it. The sweat was coming out in blood. And yet in the middle of it, he said, Not my will, but yours, Father. Draw a line in the sand. Refuse to surrender to the pressure of life. Be victorious in Jesus' name. Look at the javelin in Saul's hand and shout, In the name of the Lord, I put my trust in him. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. I cannot be defeated, and I will not quit. God doesn't create junk, nor does He sponsor flops. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are the church triumphant. You are washed with the blood of the Lamb. The Son of God washed you with His blood. You are the royalty of heaven. And I want to tell you that escaping and running and fleeing should be beneath your dignity, your Christian dignity. It should be beneath that royal blood that is going through your veins. Hear me right, and I hope you're not going to misunderstand this. Some of you probably will, but I want to tell you, your spiritual life will not be exciting 
until you look at the demon that I look to in the eye and say, Buster, I'm going to play the harp of the gospel until Jesus comes back or when He takes me home. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit for He is greater than the javelin that's in your hand. And I honestly believe that God has prepared me for this life of victory in Christ. I can't get down very long. And I know that I owe a lot, most of that, to the power of God and His grace, but also a lot to my parents, my godly parents, a father and mother who loved me. They were firm. You better believe it. But they loved me. And I understood the balance of reverence and love from my parents. I have a problem with abstract mind. I'm still, that's why I'm a, I'm a simple-minded person. I, I kind of did PhD on Braille's, you know. I think of concrete things rather than, because my parents taught me that way. And I remember some of the things they used to say to me, among many things, they would say, now remember when you're facing a crisis, when you're facing a problem in your life, there are two people watching you. God is watching you, but the devil is watching you too. The devil says to you, run, get away as far as you can from your problem. Don't stand, get away. And then the Jesus standing on the other side is saying, I'm only a cry away. Call upon me and I'll answer you. I'll always remember that. That's why I can't stay down for very long. He used to say to me, even in the failures, remember that God lifts you up. My mother's one of her favorite texts was from Micah. He said, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, for when I fall, the Lord will lift me up, and when I'm in darkness, He will shine His light upon me. And it would take me the rest of the day to tell you about the many failures that I've experienced, the many difficulties in the crisis that I found myself in. And again and again, I remember that the devil wants me to run, but Jesus said, Hey, I'm a cry away. Call upon me. I'll help you. All my life, I imagined God with an outstretched arm. And that's why the Bible said, Jesus said, that I'm standing on the door and knocking. He waits for you to call. How can I flee? I trust in my trust is in God, David said. I want to tell you, if you look at this text very carefully, there's a contrast here between trusting in God and fleeing. You cannot be trusting in God when you're running away from the will of God. You cannot be running from the will of God and say that you are trusting in God. You could not do both. There is a contrast between the two. And running is beneath your Christian dignity and the dignity of your royal blood, your heavenly royal blood. Many years ago, it was Lord Alfred Tennyson, the poet laureate of England at that time, was summoned by the queen to her private quarters. The queen sought him to seek his advice and his counsel. For there were dark days for England, and she was thinking about abdicating the throne for the good of the nation. And she expressed her innermost fear, her innermost emotions to Lord Tennyson. And the poet laureate of England at that time, when she finished talking, he looked her in the face. And he said, Thou art royal, therefore endure. Thou art royal, therefore endure. And that's what I'm saying today to you, the sons and daughters of the God Most High. You have been bought by the blood of Christ. 
the son of the living God. You have this royal blood. You are royal. Therefore, endure. The only thing that you flee from, as we saw from Psalm 1, is the counsel of the wicked. Is the company of the wicked. That's the only thing you flee from. But not from the will of God. Don't flee like a bird to the mountains. Don't run at the first instance of any kind of danger. Stand your ground. If you have reached the end of your rope, tie a knot at it. Hang on there. God is in the other side of faith. The answer is coming. Don't surrender. God will give you the answer. And He will help you if you stand firm. You know, I often thank God for those who hang in there, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. Those who are not afraid and don't give up. I read the story about a salesman. He went to a men's clothing store. And he walked to the owner of the men's clothing store and he said, I want to sell for you. I want to be a salesman. And the man said, we're not hiring. He said, well, you need me. I'm a good salesman. And the owner said, well, just how good are you? He said, I'm really good. I'm better than any of your salesmen here. And the man said, all right. He said, you see this purple and yellow suit hanging in there? He said, well, I said, I'm, I'm going out to lunch. And when I come back from lunch, if you sell that suit, then you are good and I'm going to hire you. So the man went out to lunch. He came back. The suit was gone. The salesman clothes were torn and, and scratches in his face. And he was leaning on the counter. And he said, what happened to the suit? He said, well, I sold it. He said, uh, did he get into trouble? He said, not with the customer. But see this seeing eye dog there? He said, he nearly killed me. What's the point? Well, the man tried. (laughs) He didn't flee. Choice, not chance, will determine what your life is going to be like. Choice, not a chance, will determine what your family life is going to be like. Choice, not a chance, is going to determine what your business is going to be like. Choice, not a chance, is going to determine what the future of this great nation is going to be. For if we all want something for nothing, soon there will be nothing for us to want. Listen, hear me right, and I hope you can feel the depth of my heart here. America is full of marital refugees who are running from mate to mate because they were trained from the cradle to run away at the first sign of trouble. And recently in an evangelical magazine, it showed the statistics that there are the same divorces inside the church as there are outside of the church. Why? I ask myself that a million times. But I believe because we hear the Word of God, but we never let it penetrate the veneer of our hearts. We come in and we sing praises. We go out and do what we want to do. Are you in trouble? Don't flee like a bird to the mountain. Go back and try again. Dig in. Someone will say, well, what about if I fail? You cannot fail at anything ever. Until you quit trying. And when you quit, no matter how talented you may be, you cannot prevail. Somebody says, well, preacher, what about if they criticize me? Well, they do criticize me. Well, there's one only perfect man ever lived and he was criticized too. Who do you think you are? (laughs) So what if they criticize you? There are so many people around who are so afraid, so haunted with the fear of criticism, that they achieve nothing. 
I want you to hear this and I hope you remember it. Write it down, write it down in the cortex of your brain. I believe that the fear of criticism is the kiss of death in the courtship of accomplishment. You know, don't be haunted with criticism, a fear of it. Why? If they criticize the Son of God, why would not they criticize you? People love to get a moving target, so what? You will achieve nothing, you'll accomplish nothing if you stay in your place afraid of criticism. You know, David was trained by the Lord. And there were three divisions in his life. In the country, in the court of Saul, and in the cave. In the country, he was a shepherd boy. He learned to worship God. He discovered the power of praise, and he wrote it in the Psalms. If you have not discovered the power of praise in your life... Chances are you have not learned to live a victorious life. In the court, David learned wisdom. He learned how to control himself. He learned how to persevere. For if you do not learn to control yourself, you could destroy yourself. And then it was in the cave. You know what David learned in the cave? He learned the art of spiritual warfare. He learned to live by discipline, not by emotions. He learned to live by his duty, whether he liked it or not. Does this describe you? I pray so. I'm going to close in a minute, but I want you to focus with me just for a few more seconds. As long as you are manipulated by your emotions, as long as you are reacting to what is happening to you, you will not live a victorious life in Jesus Christ. Why? Very simple. The devil is going to see to it. He will make sure of it. And I'm talking from experience. I'm not telling you theory stuff. The devil is going to see to it that always he's going to send you someone, some person. He will send you some pressure. He will send you some obstacle to knock you off course of the mark of the high calling in God. You will see to it that it's done. And if you react with your emotions, you live a life of a treadmill. Some of you are facing Saul's javelin today, and you're tempted to quit and run away. I want to challenge you in Jesus' name. In the name of the Most High God, Not to flee, not to quit, not to run. Keep playing the harp, because one day you'll be a king. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.